Good morning. It's good to be here again with you and to have the privilege of opening God's Word together again this morning. I will say it's been nice for us to become a, come a couple of times and get, shall I say, reacquainted? Or That's not the right word. To be with some family that we hadn't been with in quite some time. Let's put it that way. Because it, it's good to see many of you who we know and to meet more of you that we don't. It's been a blessing, and we've enjoyed that very, very much. As you gathered from the reading that Pastor Rick did just a few moments ago, we'll be in Matthew chapter 18 this morning. And I'm going to assure you right off the bat, we're not going to be talking about church discipline. Okay, that is not what we're going to look at this morning. We're actually going to be looking at Jesus' parable that's in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. And we're going to be looking at that parable and what it teaches us on the topic of forgiveness. That topic probably ranks up there towards the top of one of the most greatly misunderstood topics in Christendom today. Many people think that forgiveness is something to be handed out freely without any request for it. We just kind of throw it out there. Anything happens, we just forgive everybody. And Well, we know that's not biblical, and we know that's not the way God forgives. Others, on the other hand, give it out sparingly. If they think the person's not sincere in seeking it, if they don't see what they want to see, they withhold it. Others still see it as not an important part of the Christian life. R.C. Sproul has some very good comments in his, in his commentary on Matthew upon that where he says, it's, again, it's one of the most misunderstood topics in our day. And it's crucial that we as God's people understand the importance, the significance of forgiveness and what it is. And again, before we look into this this morning, let's ask the Lord's help that he would give us the, the ability to understand his word correctly and apply it faithfully to ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again this morning for the opportunity to open your word. Thank you for your people here who have a desire to hear it and obey it. Bless them, we ask, and pray as they hear. Help them to hear as has already been prayed with not only minds desirous to understand, but hearts willing to obey. Bless me as I preach it. We ask, Father, that you would help me to preach it plainly and clearly. Might you be glorified by all that's said and your people encouraged and built up in the faith, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to look at, at this parable in verses 21 to 35 of Matthew 18. And we're going to do it in, in four parts. First, we're going to look at the previous question to the parable. Then we'll look at the people in the parable. We'll look at the parable itself and the purpose of the parable. I'm going to, we're going to try to make our way through the first three fairly quickly so that we can spend the bulk of our time on the last part and the purpose of the parable. So let's begin this morning with the previous question to the parable in verses 21 to 22. Again, where Peter comes and says to our Lord, How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, where is this question coming from? Why is Peter asking our Lord this question? Well, if we look, as we read back up into the previous six verses, we find out exactly what's kind of triggered Peter, as it were, here. Jesus had just finished teaching on how to treat someone who sins against us or another person. We're to go to them privately and try to resolve the issue. If not, we take two or three witnesses and try to resolve it. If not, we take it to the church when they meet and deal with it publicly. But in, in verse 15 in particular, Jesus makes a statement 
that caught Peter's attention. He said, if you rebuke your brother and he listens to you, forgive him. Now, Peter understood something correctly that Jesus was saying when he said that. Do you notice Jesus didn't put any limit on it? Peter picked up on that right away. Wait wait, wait a minute. Lord, how many times do I got to do that? How often do I need to do that? So that's where Peter's question kind of comes from. And then we get kind of to the substance of that question where Peter, again, asked Jesus if forgiving someone seven times is enough. Did Peter really understand what Jesus was trying to say? Did he understand the nature of forgiveness? Not completely. And it's why Jesus replied to Peter the way he did. He did. Peter was concerned more about how much he should forgive other than the state of the offender and their restoration. What was he concerned more about? He was actually concerned more about himself and what it would cost him than he was about the other person. And how does our Savior respond? Well, he responds by telling people, Peter, obviously, he's not correct. In verse 22, what does he say there? He says, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. Now, Are we to take Jesus literally here? So you've got your notebook in your pocket, right? And so when we get to my 70 times 7, does that mean I get to quit then? I've got to my, my, my number, so is that what Jesus is talking about here? No, that's obviously not. That's not what he's saying. We don't keep track of how many times we've forgiven someone. Jesus comes on to the parable to explain exactly what he means by what he told Peter. Now, secondly, we want to look at the people in the parable and just do this very briefly. And there's only two. We have the Lord of the parable and we have the servants of the parable. In verse 23, our Savior tells us, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Now, that's pretty straightforward. Jesus says what? I'm going to tell you a parable about the kingdom of heaven. Well, who's the king of the kingdom of heaven? Our Lord. Is he not? So as he starts this parable, he's actually talking in parable form about himself. As king. And secondly, we also have the servants. The term for slaves here is used in the original, but the nature of the parable Jesus is telling wouldn't be consistent with what we understand normally as slaves. And and the term here used in the original is the term for bond slaves. But as we get into the parable, we see that that's not exactly what Jesus is talking about. As a matter of fact, William Hendrickson, in his commentary on Matthew, states that the servants talked about here must have been high officials. We're talking about men who were either satraps or governors whose duty it was to collect taxes in a provincial domain. Their servants, the servants, not slaves here, are those who, who profess to be Christians and part of the kingdom of God. And we see here, as Jesus refers to them as servants or as these high officials, that explains what Jesus is going to talk about when he talks to us about the debt that this servant incurs. So that's briefly the people in the parable. Now, what about the parable itself in verses 23 to 27? Let's look again and see what happens in this first part. We're going to see under the parable itself, first, the servant's dilemma. We have a servant that's got a problem, a big problem. 
For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay his lord, excuse me, to repay, his lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Let's look, first of all, at those first three verses and see that the, the problem here that the servant has. And we see that he owed the king an enormous debt. He had a big problem. He owed the king an amount, a large amount of money. Verse 24 says that he owed him 10,000 talents. Now, in the original language, again, here, it's very interesting that the number 10,000 doesn't actually appear in the, in the original. The word literally can be translated countless. But 10,000 talents, nonetheless, as you see, if you have a note in your, if you have a, an NESB, you see a side note, they're saying it was more than 15 years wages of a laborer. This man had a large debt. And he had a debt he couldn't repay. It was something beyond his ability to do. Consequently, because he couldn't repay it, the Lord, or the king, declares that he and his family would be sold into slavery to pay for the debt. He had a problem, big problem, didn't he? He finds himself unable to pay. He finds himself about to be sold with his wife and children into slavery or along with all of his personal belongings. What was he going to do? Well, we see his plea in verse 26. He comes to the king. Beside himself, he doesn't want to be sold into slavery with his family, and in desperation, falls to the ground and begs for mercy and the opportunity to repay his debt. As a matter of fact, if you see there at the end of verse 26, he says, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Now, is that even a reasonable request? Is he ever going to be able to repay everything? Could he repay this large amount of money? And you saw there, as we saw, he had a a debt of 10,000 talents. If one talent was worth more than 15 years' wages, what would 10,000 talents be worth or more? This was not a debt he could ever repay. What was he doing? What was he saying? Well, we go on to see in verse 27, the king's response. What did the Lord of the slave say? He felt compassion. He felt compassion on him and forgave all his debt. Now stop and think about that a minute. He had compassion on this man and forgave him the debt that probably today would be equivalent of millions, if not billions of dollars. And he just wiped it clean, just like that. Now, can you imagine that man's response when the king told him that? Here was a servant probably 
who had borrowed an enormous amount of money from the king for whatever reason, way beyond what he could ever pay. And now the king, simply by his word, wipes out the debt. I'm sure the man was ecstatic. He couldn't believe it. The debt was gone. His family wasn't going to be sold into slavery. He wasn't going to lose all his personal belongings. He was excited, I'm sure, and delighted in what the king had just done for him. I want to stop right there before we go on in the parable and say, what is Jesus trying to to illustrate to us here in this part of the parable? What is he saying here to us? trying to communicate. I think one of the things that's very clear that comes out in this parable is that all men have a debt. All men have a debt to God. There's not a one of us here in this building today. There's not a one person on the face of the earth who doesn't have a huge debt to God. A debt that there's no way they can repay. Romans 3, 10. You're very familiar with it. There is none righteous. No, not one. And Paul continues on, verses 20 to 23, where he finally says the wages of, excuse me, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is There is a debt that every man has. They're like the servant. We're like the servant. There's no hope of repaying that debt ourselves. And we're kind of like that servant who said, be patient with me and I can repay. No, we can't repay. And yet, as Christians, by the grace of God, We've had that debt forgiven. That debt, just like that man, has been wiped out. Completely and fully taken care of. The Apostle Paul speaks directly to that in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Here he wrote to the Colossians... When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. We had that debt. Brethren, we had that debt just like that servant. We had a debt we couldn't repay. We had a debt that was so insurmountable, it was almost overwhelming. And yet, what? Yet the Savior did what for us? He wiped it out. He took care of it. He nailed it to the cross. The contemporary songwriter, I believe, caught it right when he said, when he wrote, what riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins they are many. His mercy is more. That's us. That's us by the grace of God. Yet, sadly, there are still those even here who don't know anything about the forgiveness of that debt. 
you still have that debt hanging over you. You have no way to repay that debt. Absolutely none. God's anger, his wrath continues to hang over you. Nothing you or anyone else can do will eliminate that debt. Not even being cast into the fires of hell for eternity will take care of that debt. There's only one who can erase that debt. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Putting your faith in him is the only way you can eliminate that debt to God. And rejoice in the forgiveness that he gives. Let's return to our parable. Verses 28 to 30. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So secondly, under this heading, we're looking at what I call the servant's demeaning or the demeaning, the servant's demeaning of another servant. And look and see how he approaches the servant in verse 28. You see the contrast here between how he approached the servant and how the king treated him? He approaches the man to repay him the debt he owed him. And first thing that stands out here is the distinct difference in amount. A hundred denarii versus 10,000 talents. And you see there, if you have the side note in your Bible, that a denarii was about a day's wages. So here we're talking about maybe three or four months worth of wages, maybe, maximum, versus an insurmountable debt. So we see that initially. Yet, also notice, even before he's received a response from the man. Do you notice what he begins to do to him? He grabs a hold of the man and begins to choke him. Pay me my money. Pay me my money. I want my money right now. You owe me 100 denarii. Give it to me right now. Wow, I don't remember him being treated that way when the Lord asked him about his debt. He's unkind and cruel. He's not been treated that way by the king. What's he doing? What's he even thinking? There's no way he should respond like that. Well, notice the appeal of that servant to him, of his fellow servant to him. What does he do? Well, his fellow servant pleads for mercy there in verse 29. His fellow servant falls to the ground and says, Have patience with me and I'll repay you. Does that sound familiar? That's almost like a repeat of what we heard earlier in verse 26. Of what the first servant had said to the king. But notice how different the response is here. Notice the answer that he gets here, that the second servant gets from the first servant. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. He shows no mercy at all. And cast his fellow servant into prison. 
Now we read that and say, that's just unbelievable. After what the king, the Lord, did for him, how could he do that? How could he go and treat him that way? He wasn't treated like that. He wasn't treated unkindly. He wasn't treated. He wasn't choked. He wasn't cast into prison when he pleaded for mercy. How could he do such a thing? Well, his fellow servants see what's going on. And that brings us to the third point under this topic, or under this heading, excuse me, the servant's destruction. What's going to happen to this first servant? Well, in verse 31, we see that the servants, his fellow servants, bring a report to the king. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. They come and report the behavior. They see it. They're grieved by it. They report it to the king. Well, what's the king's response? How does he respond to what he hears from the servants? In verses 32 and 33. Well, he calls the servant in. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? So the king calls him in. And the first thing he tells him is he's wicked. What he's done is evil and wrong. And that he should have showed mercy just like the mercy that had been shown to him. And he failed to do it. So what does the king resolve to do? What's his resolution to the problem? The king as we see in verse 34, becomes angry and enraged with the servant. And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Well, first, you notice he reinstates the debt. This debt that the man had had erased and been absolved of, no longer owed, is restored. Not only does he do that, but he hands him over to the torturers. And this is very interesting because this is different from the word prison that we've seen earlier twice in the passage. This is not the word being thrown into prison. This is the word being handed over to those who would beat and torture someone for their crime. This man was being handed over for severe punishment. And you notice it was to be done until he could repay the debt? What does that tell us? Was he ever going to repay this debt? No. That punishment would last forever. Now that's the parable as we see it. Now on to the purpose of the parable. What is Jesus trying to get across here? What's he trying to get across to Peter? What does he want us to learn in the main from it? And some other things we can see from the parable. I have six things this morning. I'm not sure we'll get to all six, but we'll do the best we can. Because there's much in this parable that we can learn about forgiveness. 
The obvious and the main one we see this morning is there in verse 35, as Jesus himself gives it. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. We must forgive others, says Jesus, because God has forgiven us. Now, you remember the king's question in verse 33? Why didn't the service servant forgive as he had been forgiven? Now, <clears throat> does that at all sound familiar? Anywhere else you remember Jesus saying anything like this at all? <clears throat> Matthew 6, in what we often call the Lord's Prayer when he was teaching the disciples how to pray, after he'd concluded that whole prayer, in verses 14 and 15, do you remember what he said? For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Our forgiveness, our forgiving, brethren, should be couched and based what? It's to be a result of the forgiveness that we've been shown. Jesus is telling us, you have been shown an, a forgiveness that can't even be measured, a debt that can't even be calculated, has been wiped out for you, and as a result, you need to forgive others and their debt to you. Such forgiveness should motivate us to forgive others. Now, does that mean it's always going to be easy to forgive others? No. Jesus didn't say that here. He's not saying this is like a light switch and you're just going to flip it. He's not saying that. He's not saying that at all. It can be very difficult sometimes if we've been deeply hurt to forgive other people for what they've done to us. And he's also not saying, nor am I, that we forgive other people apart from the biblical requirements, that scripture lays, what Scripture lays out for forgiveness. Forgiving one another, however, is one way that we love one another. Love doesn't calculate or keep a record of wrongs. We see that again in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love forgives and wipes the slate clean. We must show mercy because God has shown us mercy. And Jesus is telling us here it's a serious matter to refuse to forgive someone. And that God will treat us as the king did the servant if we do not forgive others. So that's the first and the main lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us. We must forgive others because we have been greatly forgiven. Secondly, something that also comes out here in the parable is that we can never forgive and will never forgive the same amount of what God has forgiven us. You remember Peter's question? What did he ask Jesus? Remember back there? In verse 21, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Peter thought he was kind of being magnanimous. You know, hey, you know, that's pretty good, don't you think, Lord? Seven times? If I forgive our brother seven times, I'm doing good. No, Jesus' answer was, how much has God forgiven you? That's what Jesus' answer was. How big a debt has God forgiven you? You can never forgive. We will never forgive. I will never forgive, brethren, what God has forgiven us. We can't, and we won't. Compare the debt of the servant to the king 
with the debt of the one servant to the other. What was the debt of the servant to the king? 10,000 talents. And if we kind of multiplied that all out, roughly, we're talking 20,000 years worth of salary. Versus four months. What was Jesus trying to tell us there? The debt to God that we have to God is nowhere near what others may have to us. We can't outforgive God. We can't forgive and never will forgive what God has forgiven us. Even though at times our sins may be against others, very grieving, still, we do not come anywhere close to our sins against God. We should be willing to forgive another the debt we're owed based on the debt we've been forgiven. Thirdly, we're to forgive in the same way God forgives. And I'm not going to take the time this morning to go to references I have, but I just want to give you four things, brethren, to contemplate that Scripture talks about related to forgiveness. This would be another sermon, and since we only do one sermon in a service and not two, I'll honor that and we'll stick to the one. But what does Scripture tell us about how does God forgive? Verse 33, you notice, should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? How does God forgive? And we've seen some of that already. Is God ready to forgive? When a man comes to ask forgiveness of him, is he ready to forgive? Yes. God is always ready to forgive. Is forgiveness immediate upon repentance? Yes. Luke 17, 3 and 4. How often do we do it? What, did, what was Jesus' answer to Peter? How often do we do it? Was there a limit? No. No limit. Does God limit men when he forgives them? Do you only get so many, brethren, and once you've hit this number, that's it. God says, enough, no more. You've used up your allotment. No, he doesn't say that, does he? Nor should our forgiveness to others be in any, any way limited. God's is unlimited. And it's full and complete. His forgiveness is full and complete. And what I mean by that and what I, where I take that from is Psalms 103, one of, a very familiar psalm, Psalm 103, where David talks about forgiveness and God's compassion and mercy towards us, where he says in verses 8 through 13, or 14, excuse me, 8 through 14, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are dust. Our forgiveness is full and complete. Can God forget our sins? Well, does an almighty, as we sung earlier this, this morning, one who knows all things, does he forget? He doesn't forget. But what does he do? He chooses to remember no more. He chooses not to hold that against us. He chooses to eliminate that debt. How should we do when we forgive one another? 
What are we often tempted to do, brethren? What do we often do? And I knew that I would not do well with this mic only because whatever kind of mic you give me, Pastor Rick, I'm notorious for getting out from under it. So I apologize for, for that this morning. What, is, do we, what do we have a tendency to do when we get in a discussion? And, and often, as husbands and wives, this is one we struggle with. What do we do? We get in a discussion. We get in a disagreement, and it starts to get a little tense. And then we start bringing up, yeah, but I remember when you did that. And I remember when you did that. Whoa, wait a minute. Those things were forgiven. If they've been forgiven, how should they be treated? What did God say he does? Is that what God does to us? Does he say, Matt Vincent, you know what? I remember when you did that a while back, and yeah, you asked forgiveness, but you know, you were really a stinker. You really messed up. He doesn't do that. He remembers them no more. That's us. That's the way we have to be when we forgive, brethren. We have to remember these things no more. They're to be eliminated. They're to be gone. Our forgiveness is to be like God's forgiveness. We're to imitate him and forgive in this way. Well, what's the fourth thing we see this morning? The fourth thing we see is forgiveness is at the very heart of being a Christian. It's at the very core of who we are as God's people. Why do I say that? Because of two things. One, do you notice what it is that motivates us to forgive again? It's our own forgiveness. It's what God has done for us. That's what motivates us. That's what should spur us on. And when we struggle with that, when we're having a hard time doing that, one thing to bring back to our own remembrance, brethren, is what has God done for me? Where was I before I was converted? What did he lift me up out of? The mess I was in? Can I not forgive this person? Because of what I've been forgiven? It's at the very heart of who we are. And of what God's done for us. And we see that confirmed in what Jesus says, or what, excuse me, what the king says, actually, in verse 34 of chapter 18 there. And what he does, what does he do there to the servant? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. This man demonstrated he wasn't really who it appeared that he, who he was. He was not a Christian. He was not part of the kingdom because the king hands him over to everlasting punishment. Jesus is telling us here, forgiveness is so significant. It's so important. It's so a part of who you are as a Christian that if you dig your heels in and refuse to do it when it's appropriate, when it should be done, That's a dangerous, dangerous place to be spiritually. There may be an indication that you really have no love for God at all. Jesus says this is the heart, one of the hearts of being one of his people. The heart of being a Christian. Fifthly, it teaches us the nature of sin against someone. And this is something that kind of struck me as I was reviewing this the other day, and this is not the first time I've 
preach this sermon. And as a matter of fact, poor Diane has heard this at least three times. <clears throat> My Diane has heard this at least three times, if not more. But I am thankful that she told me that the last time, you know, that was you preached that a lot better the last time than you did the time before. Well, I'm glad to hear that, honey. Uh, <laughs> that was encouraging. <laughs> that was good. But, and I'm thankful for that because I did, in this time, see something that I really didn't see as clearly when I studied through this again. And the nature of sin, what is sin? When we sin against God or someone else, what is that? It immediately puts us in debt to either God or another person. We now have a moral debt or an obligation that needs to be forgiven. It needs to be met. And what's Jesus teaching us here about sin? Sin just isn't some minor thing or incidental thing. Sin is serious. Like this king and his servants, it is something that can't be resolved in and of itself. But it needs to be forgiven. It's a moral debt that needs to be given. Now, when we sin against another human being, we incur a moral debt, and that doesn't compare with the debt that we incur with God, and yet there still is a moral debt. We saw that there was a moral debt, what? Between the two servants. The one man owed something to the other servant. What was Jesus telling us? Yes, we sin against each other, and we do incur debt against each other. And that debt needs to be forgiven. But it teaches us that that's the nature of that's what sin is. It's a debt, yes. Is it a transgression of God's law? Absolutely. But it incurs a debt when it takes place. Something we need to remember and deal with accordingly. And lastly, as I've tried to hurry, and I think I'm going to make, we're going to make it here, this, this last application comes again from what Jesus said in verse 35. At the very end, do you notice what he tells us? My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother how? From your heart. What is Jesus saying to us there? Forgiveness is not just some outward appearance, for lack of a better word, or outward acknowledgement. True forgiveness Jesus is telling us doesn't continue to hold a grudge or be bitter. It doesn't give some outward appearance of everything being fine. And yet there's still being something, some anger or bitterness in our hearts. No, Jesus said true forgiveness comes from the heart. It's real. It's sincere. It's genuine. It's something before God that's done. It trusts God. Real forgiveness trusts God to do what is right. It leaves justice to him. True forgiveness says, I'm not, this is not for me to judge. This is not for me. I've forgiven. I'm not going to take justice out on this. Now, let me be clear of something, lest you jump to a conclusion here. You're saying, well, if somebody does something to us, there are never consequences. No, I didn't say that. There are still consequences sometimes even if forgiveness is granted. There can be, depending on the situation. But it trusts God to do what is right, and it leaves justice to him in the main. Because what are we doing when we release that debt? What are we doing? We're saying, I no longer hold that against you. 
Are we not? That's no longer for us to do anything about. We now give it to God. And in the case of when we're talking about one another, what are we doing? What else are we acknowledging? That sin that that person has committed against us, that Christian brother or sister, what are we acknowledging? That What about that sin? What about their sin? Has not Christ done for their sin what he's done for ours? Has he not nailed it to the cross? Yes. Now, yes, there are some circumstances where things will have to be done. I understand that. But in the main, we are to trust God and to leave justice to him. May God help us, brethren, to learn to be a forgiving people, all of us, to be a forgiving people. Why? Because of what great things he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word again. How clear it is, how plain it is. And Father, I ask this morning that you would overcome the deficiencies of the speaker. And you would take your word and use it to encourage and strengthen, instruct your people. We pray as well this morning that if there are any here among us that are outside your kingdom, you would help them to see that they need forgiveness. That they need the forgiveness that comes only in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And without that forgiveness, they are headed to a road of eternity in which the debt they owe you will never be repaid and be punished forever. Father, we ask that again, help us to glorify you by being a forgiving people. In Jesus' name, amen.